championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. This is the LakersNation.com live postgame show in your Los Angeles Lakers. Just picked up a win in overtime against the Miami Heat, 120 to 117. What a game. Another stressful one, but this one was pretty fun. We saw the Lakers competing on both ends of the floor. Yeah, there were some mistakes, and we'll certainly get into those. But I think this was one of, if not the best performances from the Lakers this season for a lot of reasons that I'm going to get into, including, oh my goodness, what a game by Malik Monk, 27 points. Malik Monk says, here I am. Look what I can do. We're going to break down all of that. As you can see, it's a solo show, but like I always say, it's not just me. It's me and all of you here tonight. So if you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, welcome in. Let's talk some Lakers basketball. If you listen to the podcast version of this afterwards and you're over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, make sure you follow us there as well. All right, let's get into some of the stats from this game. Again, the Lakers win 120-117. to 117. Anthony Davis, 24 points, scores the Kobe. 13 boards, 4 assists, 1 steal, 1 block, 10-23 shooting. Did hit a 3, 1 for 2 from deep. Hadn't seen him knocking a 3 in a while. His percentage has not been good, so nice to see him knocking one of those. 5 offensive boards for AD. Russell Westbrook gets the triple-double, 25-12-14 avoids the quadruple, quadruple double because he only had eight turnovers, didn't get the double digits there, but 10 for 22 shooting, three for seven from deep. Avery Bradley dropped 17 himself, five for eight shooting. And then of course, Malik Monk, 27 points, 10 for 13 shooting, four of seven from deep. The story for the Lakers tonight was actually the shooting. 50% from the field, 48, no, 47% from three. That's how they're able to win this game despite... Again, no LeBron James, no Taylor Horton Tucker, no Kendrick Nunn, no Trevor Ariza. And then we found out right before game time, no Rajon Rondo, no Austin Reeves either. That's how injured the Lakers were. They had nine healthy players. Well, 10 when we had two-way players, Siku Dumboya. Yeah, 10 players, and that was it. That was all Frank Vogel had to turn to, and they still managed to get it done. Got it done in large part because of how well they shot the ball on the night. You look at Wayne Ellington, four for six. Monk was four for seven from three. Uh, Avery Bradley, five for eight. Those guys really helped the Lakers out behind the arc. Ironically, Carmelo Anthony, who's been red hot, one for five from three, five for 12 shooting and missed a free throw late that almost gave Miami a chance to come back and tie this game. 12 points for Carmelo Anthony, though. So the shooting really helped the Lakers get through it. Tyler Hero was a thorn in the side of the Lakers all night long. 27 points for him, four boards, five of eight from deep. He shot the ball incredibly well. Jimmy Butler exited this game early due to an ankle injury. Uh, didn't look like it was anything major, but still only played 12 minutes. And that certainly helped out with the Lakers side because, well, the Heat are one of the best teams in the East. And the Lakers, frankly, have looked, well, a little bit discombobulated at times. The Miami Heat's defense is very, very good at taking you out of what it is that you want to do. And so there was a lot of thought that the Heat were going to steamroll the Lakers tonight, particularly when the injury report came out. They found out that there was going to be no Rondo and no Austin Reeves, which meant a lot of Russell Westbrook handling the ball at point guard. And whenever he was out, it meant Avery Bradley, Malik Monk playing at that guard spot, but the Lakers managed to persevere and get it done in overtime. Let's see some of the questions and comments that are coming in initially. Somebody said, we needed this win. Yeah, that's that's Art Aguilar from Facebook. Yeah, that's a great way to really sum this up, right? That encapsulates exactly what 
this was all about, this win, right? And I'm not even just talking about the team. I'm talking about all of you. I'm talking about Lakers Nation needed this win. It's been a while, right? Since we've had kind of a feel-good game for the Lakers. A win where it wasn't like, oh my gosh, they just barely hung on against a bad team. No, the Miami Heat are one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. They had a 7-3 and record coming into this thing. They've been absolutely crushing teams. So this is not just a win for the Lakers. This is a good win. This is a win that you wouldn't have predicted on the schedule. And it's a win because they played well. I thought on both ends of the floor, the Lakers did things that we haven't seen them do. Don't get me wrong. There were mistakes. There were plenty of mistakes that were made on both ends. And I'm sure we're going to get into some of those. But for the most part, I think we saw the Lakers compete, especially defensively. Frank Vogel's got to be pretty happy. Yeah, Tyler Hero got an open look on that last shot. But overall, defensively, I thought the Lakers did a great job competing and really contesting everything the Miami Heat were putting up. It was a nice change. So not only was this a win, this is a win that you can feel good about. This isn't like the win against the Hornets where they went to OT and they shouldn't have, and you kind of you, you escape with the victory. This was a win against a team that, frankly, you probably shouldn't have beaten given the injury report for the Lakers and the way they've been playing basketball, but they really came together and you saw the team execute on both ends of the floor. And I think this is the first time we can say that all season long where they really played together on defense, and that was absolutely fantastic to see. So the Lakers as a team, they needed this win for their morale. They needed this win for their confidence. But Lakers Nation, all of us, we needed this win as well, just to have that kind of feel-good win. And I know this was a stressful one to still. I've got people in the chat saying this was still a very stressful win. Absolutely. But this is the kind of win that you don't feel like they just kind of fell backwards into because they were just just had so much more talent than the other team. No, if anything, Miami probably had the talent advantage in this one, and the Lakers worked and scrapped and clawed their way into a victory. Just look at the Heat shooting percentages. 42% from the field for Miami, 27% from three. This is a better shooting team than that. I mean, Duncan Robinson, three for 13 from three, and that guy's a sniper. The Lakers were doing a great job contesting. Again, some mistakes made, but overall, I think this is probably the best performance that we've seen. Uh, Tia Banks said they did play together, especially for nine players, uh, for having nine players out there. Yeah, they really did. And I think part of this too is there can be something a little bit freeing when you've got so many guys out, because if you're, let's say you're Malik Monk, right? And you come into this game and you know, there's no Rondo, there's no Austin Reeves, there's no Taylor Horton Tucker, all these guys, they're all out. So what's Frank Vogel going to do if you make a mistake? Nothing. He doesn't have anybody else to put in. He, You have to get minutes because there's no one else to turn to. So that's a little bit freeing in a sense when you can just go out there and you can play your game and you know no matter what, those minutes are going to be there. Now, I'm not saying that's what you want in every situation. In general, you want competition over minutes. But for a one-game sample size like this, sometimes being undermanned can cause the guys who are on the floor to play a little bit more freely and not be afraid of mistakes quite as much. And I felt like the Lakers didn't look nearly as tense in this game as we've seen in the past. They didn't look quite as, I don't know if I want to say nervous, but they looked like they were just playing a little bit more loose, just going out there, having fun, and playing basketball. And that was great to see. It was a noticeable difference. And I think that that was actually the advantage of being down a couple of guys that we didn't expect them to be heading into it. All right, let's talk a little bit about... um, the 360 award because we always do this 
we talk about the 360 world we go into the best star of the night and obviously no lebron in this one so he wasn't playing carmelo anthony has been flirting with that we've been talking about it, making it the 3607 award or something like that carmelo anthony uh was not in the star stratosphere in this one so between russell westbrook and anthony davis that's who we're deciding between so chat let us know who you think, or let me know, who you think should get the 360 award in this one. Which star was the best? Was it Russell Westbrook or was it Anthony Davis? And I think both of those guys were good, but I'm actually going to get, if it's a tie, I'm going to lean towards Russ. I didn't think I was going to be saying this, and he made some mistakes. He made some big mistakes in the early going. He had some turnovers. He had a turnover in the first like two minutes of the game. Right, He missed uh, some shots that he really shouldn't have, took some shots he shouldn't have at the end of regulation, pulling up for a long jumper rather than attacking the basket to potentially win the game. That was mind-boggling. He had a turnover in overtime as well where he finally attacked and got bodied on the baseline and just threw the ball out and the Miami Heat picked it off. He had his flaws, there's no question. But Russ also in the fourth quarter, the Lakers are coming back to get in this thing and Russ was right there making big shots. Tyler Hero got isolated on, on him. And the big Anthony Davis was out of the paint, so there was no rim protection in there. And Russ just went right at him and scored easily with the layup. Hit a pull-up jumper late. He made big plays for the Lakers down the stretch. And so I'm going with Russell Westbrook. Again, triple-double, 14 assists, 12 boards. Played 43 minutes in this one, and I thought his energy was infectious. He was all over the place on the floor. Once again, not saying he was perfect. There were still some ugly turnovers, still some issues. But overall, I thought Russ had a nice night, and I thought that he deserved the 360 award. Three for seven from deep as well. Knocked in some threes, so that was good to see from him. Most of you seem to be agreeing with me that it needed to be Russ getting that award. Uh, somebody mentioned Russ also grabbing boards. Yes, he was a factor in there. And that's what helps allow you to play with Anthony Davis at the five when Russell Westbrook really commits to crashing the boards because the advantage of having an extra big on there, in theory, whether it's Dwight Howard who fouled out in 11 minutes. I know his last foul was not really a foul, but Dwight is a high foul guy. He fouls a lot. Um, so he fouled out in just 11 minutes, which is crazy. DeAndre Jordan... You can have those guys off the floor and not get killed on the boards when Russ is doing those things. I thought he was very, very active on the glass and did a nice job. When AD was just tipping a ball and keeping it alive, there was Russ right there to grab it or even Russ tipping the ball and making sure it stays alive and then letting a teammate grab the rebound. He did a nice job in the paint. Uh, somebody mentioned Malik Monk uh, played better defense. Yeah, you know what? Malik Monk, and somebody's asking me right now too, uh, what about Westbrook's defense? I thought in general, across the board, the Lakers' defense looked more locked in. There were still some moments. There was a moment where I believe it was Avery Bradley got back cut badly. In fact, there was uh, some plays at the, I believe it was the end of the half, where the Lakers got back cut a ton. It like play after play after play. They pulled Bam at a bio up top, and that left nobody under the basket. And the Lakers just got back cut like three or four plays in a row, and it did not look good. But overall, I think defensively, the entire team was more locked in. It felt like there was more chemistry, too, in terms of the switches, in terms of the rotations. Malik Monk certainly was one of those guys who I thought had one of his better defensive performances. Westbrook as well had a solid defensive performance. Even plays where Tyler Hero was scoring and he had some tough shots, you saw guys 
hustling to get out there and put a hand up and contest. And I think there was a difference across the team. I mean, credit to Russ, credit to Malik Monk. I thought they played better defensively, but team-wide, I felt like the defense took a step forward in this one, not just in execution, but also in effort. In effort, they cared about this game. You saw it. They wanted to win this game so badly. They were selling out, doing everything they had to do to cover the floor. And that was great to see. I mean, that's that's the Vogel way, right? That's what we've seen out of Vogel teams in the past. And we haven't seen this team do it yet until tonight. And I think part of it was Miami missed some shots. And frankly, they missed some shots that they probably should have made. But that sort of... Uh, empowered the Lakers and made them feel a little bit better. You saw the intensity pick up when the Lakers started seeing success, when they started to be able to actually get stops and then secure the rebound and figure out that they could actually stop Miami from scoring. That was a big moment, I think, for this team. All right, let's see what else you guys have. Leroy Long said, we need this type of intensity every night. You know, that can be tough over the course of an 82-game season. Yes, it would be, it's ideal to say, or be it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, just play with that kind of intensity every single night. It's a long season, 82 games. It's hard to do that on a night-in, night-out basis. But it is nice to see this because, again, I think this is the first time We've really seen a complete game with this kind of intensity. You know, Carmelo Anthony talked about it recently. Dwight Howard did too, about how the Lakers, their intensity comes and goes. How they'll play hard for a few possessions, but not an entire game. I felt like, what, 90% of this game, maybe 95%, they played hard and they played locked in. And it's nice to see them push down on that gas pedal like that. Uh, somebody said the refs don't give us any calls. You know what? There were some questionable calls throughout the night. There were some frustrating ones, but I thought both teams played through it. There were some moments where, where the Lakers got away with some fouls. Um, overall, I thought the team did a better job playing through foul situations and playing through things that um, that, that might have derailed them in previous games. And so, while yes, there were, I had some concerns with the referees. I had some calls that I just didn't think were right. I thought they were just flat out wrong. For example, uh, Kyle Lowry did the swing through move when he was standing behind the arc. The Lakers were in the bonus and he got three free throws. That rule was changed years ago. That's supposed to be two free throws. In my mind, the refs just blew the call. They just made the wrong call on that play. Now, apparently they ruled he was into a shooting motion, but to me, it was the swing through. It was the classic swing through move. And the referees just missed it. And so that gave an extra free throw to the Miami Heat. But again, even though there were those mistakes, I thought the Lakers did a nice job playing through them. And I think that's the bigger picture point or the bigger picture positive side because we saw this team get derailed by rough calls earlier in the season where they didn't get the whistle and guys were staying behind the play to complain. Guys were uh, guys were getting upset and couldn't stay focused mentally because of that. They were letting that take them out of the game. And in this one, I felt for the most part, the Lakers played through it. So yes, the referees made some mistakes and things like that, but I was more excited to see the Lakers play through those than anything else. Somebody said Kent Bazemore. I've got a lot of people bringing up Kent Bazemore. Oh, people asking where was HBK tonight? He does have a left hamstring strain. It sounds like it is pretty minor. Same thing with Rajon Rondo, but it was enough to keep him out of action tonight. So yes, more injuries for the Lakers. But I've got a lot of people asking about Kent Bazemore. Uh, Bazemore, one for four, shooting two boards, 
two points. He was a minus six on the night. You know, Kent Bazemore, I didn't think... I think he's had a couple of rough games in a row now. I thought last game he wasn't great either, and that's when the Lakers started turning to like Wayne Ellington more. Uh, and Bazemore only played 14 minutes in the last one. Tonight, 22 minutes. But again, there was no Austin Reeves. So I have to wonder if Reeves had played and Malik Monk really had it going like this, is Bazemore back to like 14-ish minutes again for the second game in a row? I feel like he was, he's been having some problems defensively, and really that's the value. He's not going to bring value on the offensive end. He did have a really nice teardrop jumper late in the shot clock. I thought, I thought it was a disaster waiting to happen, and then he just softly lofts the ball up and puts it through the net. It was a great shot, but that's the only shot he made. One for four, two boards, two points on the night, three fouls. And defensively, I thought he got lost a few times. So if he's not giving you top-level defense, which is what Frank Vogel's been expecting, remember, coming out of training camp, Kent Bazemore had separated himself, according to Vogel, compared to the other perimeter defenders, right? Vogel had said that Bazemore was on another level than the other perimeter defenders. And if he's not doing that, you kind of lose the incentive to keep him on the floor. Now, again, it's been a couple of rough games. I'm not ready to completely write him off. I mean... People were writing off Malik Monk a few games ago. We said there's going to be games where he helps you out. Ken Bazemore's not done. It's not like you bench him forever. He's had a rough stretch, but I think he'll get better. There's going to be moments where he is going to really help the Lakers as well. Tonight was not one of those nights, and last night was not one of those nights either. But remember, it's a long season. So to write off any of these guys at the moment is probably premature to do, especially with what we've seen. All right, but let's not bury the lead too much here. Because we've got, oh, I've got a super chat coming in here. Oh, it was just somebody kicking in, kicking in a super chat just for fun. Thank you. Do appreciate it. I believe that was from uh, JJ on YouTube. Somebody, oh, I, I do need to get to this before we get to the next man up award, which is an obvious one. Oh, JJ Ramirez said, we should trade for Jared Allen. Don't have anything to trade for him. So that that's not going to happen. Don't have anything you can trade for Jared Allen uh, to make that work. Uh, bloody knuckles from YouTube said Russ wants to be the hero so bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, he does. And I thought Russ made some big plays down the stretch tonight. Again, made some mistakes too, but overall thought he was good. Uh, okay. Let's get into the next man up award. And then I'll get into LeBron and the injury update with him. Cause I do have some news there, but the next man up award, you guys know who it's going to be. There's no question tonight. It's a very easy pick. Which of the non-stars was the best? I want to see it, chat. Fire it off. There it is. I'm seeing it all the way down my screen right now. It's one word. It's four letters. No, not that word. It's Monk. Malik Monk. Next man up. 10 for 13 shooting. Four for seven from three. Three or four at the line. Six boards. Three assists. One block. 27 points. 27 points off the bench for Malik Monk. This was his best performance as a Laker, no question. Even hit in crunch time, that ridiculous, off the wrong foot, steps back onto his left, fires up the ball, and hits it with the shot clock winding down, a little 15-footer fading away. It looks like one of those horse shots that you would never expect anybody to make, but you know as soon as that goes in that you're getting that letter assigned to you because there's no chance that you can replicate that thing. Malik Monk was on fire in this one. And that's the benefit of having this kind of score on the roster. There's going to be some games where he doesn't have it, where the shot's not fallen, and defensively he burns you, and that's when he doesn't get as many minutes. But on nights like this, he can explode 
and help win you a game. The Lakers don't win this game without Malik Monk scoring. There were times where the Lakers offense broke down because remember, Miami's got a good defense, one of the best defenses in the NBA. And there were times when the Lakers offense broke down and Malik Monk was able to bail them out, either with an attack of the basket. I love the one where he went up with his right, switched to his left and finished. Oh, so pretty. And then the shot making from the perimeter Absolutely phenomenal from Malik Monk. Again, they do not win this game without this kind of performance from him. He played at such a high level on the offensive end of the floor and absolutely shredded the Miami Heat. That was great to see. Amazing stuff from him. Can't say enough good things about Malik Monk in this performance. This is what the Lakers were hoping they were getting. Again, if you expect this every single night out of him, you're going to be disappointed. But you know he's got this capability in him where... In the right situation, he can really get going. And when he heats up, look out. He can drop a lot of points in a hurry. And he was absolutely fantastic tonight. All right. People asking for the LeBron James injury update. So Brian Windhorst, who is about as tuned in to LeBron as anybody, has followed LeBron right into Cleveland, into Miami, back you now with the Lakers. Brian Windhorst on his podcast mentioned that LeBron James, the injury that he suffered is relatively minor compared to what the Lakers feared it could be, which remember we heard that Bill Oram piece uh, that came out said it could be more like a couple of months. Marco Nunez, the Lakers trainer, countered and said, well, if it was a really bad strain, maybe we'd be looking at like six weeks or something like that. But Brian Windhorst said what he's heard is that it is not a bad injury, and that the rehab is going extremely well. So that tells us he's probably going to be back sooner rather than later. Now, I've been saying all along, though, the Lakers, they tend to underestimate. When we hear word of how long somebody's going to be out, the Lakers tend to underestimate how long that player will be out. Like we've heard Frank Vogel now say, Taylor Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn are nowhere close to returning. They're not They're not there yet. And a lot of the, a lot of that can be the reevaluation date, fans tend to take that reevaluation date and assume that's when the player's ready to return. They have to ramp up after that. Um, but still, this is still past the initial timeline that we heard for THT uh, and Kendrick Nunn. So we're past that point. But good news on LeBron, right? It doesn't sound like this is going to be a lengthy thing. It sounds more like it's going to be a short-term thing where maybe he's back what, within a week or so? Something That's just me guessing, but it doesn't sound like this is going to be any significant absence for him. So that is great news for a Lakers team that can absolutely use him. Uh, Brian Wong from YouTube with the Super Chat said, what do you think we can and should get by trading THT, Reeves, Dumboya, and Monk? Can we get a star or two, three, and D players or THT for Caruso straight up? Oh my goodness. If could you imagine if the Lakers traded THT for Caruso? That that would be the wildest trade ever. But um in any event, and I, I haven't even looked at the math to see if that's even something they can do. Um, but in any event, you, you're not gonna throw Dumboya. He's only on a two-way contract. Can't really throw him into a trade. Austin Reeves, non-guaranteed deal. I don't think he's going anywhere in a deal unless the Lakers are getting something crazy good. Uh the only way you're getting a star for that package is if THT comes back and absolutely blows up and looks like the next big thing. That's the only way you're really getting a star for that package of players. Like THT would have to be dropping 20 a night with seven or eight assists and just look like an absolute monster in order to get a star for for that grouping. Um, Otherwise, you're not getting a lot there. The challenge for the Lakers, and this is leaning, you know, on the side of why they should have brought back Alex Caruso. There's arguments on both sides. 
The Lakers don't have a lot of tradable contracts. They have a lot of veteran minimum guys. You've got Taylor Horton Tucker. He's going to be making about $10 million right in there. Had you brought back Caruso, you've got another nice mid-sized contract that you could throw into a deal. But they didn't, so they only really have THT and Kendrick Nunn, who's at just over $5 million, to try to make the math work on a trade. Um, again, that just means it's going to be logistically difficult for the Lakers to make any type of impact deal. Not saying it's impossible, but... The Lakers don't appear to be a team that's set up to make a trade at the trade deadline. Okay, They could probably make a smaller move, but in terms of a big move, it doesn't look like their roster is really set up in preparation of, of doing that. Uh, Davis Painter, why does AD ask for the ball at the top of the key? Yeah, that was something that got to me too, Davis. I noticed that, especially when Kyle Lowry was switched on to AD. When you give him the ball, uh, Mark Jackson was making this point on the broadcast, said that's an advantage that Anthony, or a matchup that AD has to take advantage of, right? When you give Anthony Davis the ball 15, 20 feet from the basket, I don't care if he's being guarded by Kyle Lowry. He's that far away from the rim. He can't just turn and, and shoot from there. Yes, he could pull up for the jumper, but is that really what the Lakers want? No, in that scenario, you want to give AD a chance to get under the basket. Part of that is Anthony Davis needed to recognize the scenario and get under the basket and then make himself an option from there. But when you're being defended by Kyle Lowry and you're that far from the hoop, AD can't put the ball on the floor in that scenario because Lowry's probably going to steal it from him. So setting up on the perimeter there, yes, he could get the ball. And yes, he's going to be able to see over the top of Lowry and that can make him a nice distributor from that spot in that high post. But ultimately, in terms of scoring, that's not where you want him catching the ball when he's covered by a small like Lowry. Uh, Mamba Mentality from YouTube said, don't count the Lakers out ever. We have a talented squad and can beat anyone on any given night. Let's go Lakers. Have a great and safe night, everyone. Like it. Nice positive message there. Yeah, Don't count the Lakers out. It's early. It's still very early in the season. There's a long way to go. There's going to be a lot more ups and downs here. There's going to be games where they lose and they look bad and Russell Westbrook gets a quadruple double and everybody's going to be upset. But there's also going to be nights like tonight where they play well, they play together, and you, say, and you say, you know what? Maybe this team does have something. And again, I think that's overall the biggest takeaway from this game is that this is the first real, true, feel-good win, right? It was stressful. It was stressful. But on paper, this was not a team that the LeBron James-less Lakers and then add in everybody else that's out too should have won. And yet they did. And again, we can say Jimmy Butler got hurt and all these. Yes, there's other factors here too. But again, this was not a game on paper that the Lakers should have won. And they did. And the way they did it, I thought was very impressive. Their shot making, their defense. It's a feel good game for me. And I think the first one of the season. And that's important. Uh, Christian... Naharo from YouTube said, why did Russ take that three with PJ Tucker in his face before overtime? We should have drawn a play for Malik to hit the game winner. Christian, I completely agree with you. In fact, while we are watching that out loud, when Russ has the ball and he rotates over to the wing and PJ Tucker's one-on-one -on -one with him, I said over and over and over again out loud, don't pull up, don't pull up, don't pull up, don't pull up, don't pull up. I wanted to see him put the ball on the floor, attack the basket at the worst, try to get to the free throw line, and he pulled up. 
Um, I put out there on Twitter, I said the Lakers didn't learn their lesson. Last time they were in that situation, Anthony Davis, who, okay, he was sick at the time, and, and that was something that at that moment we didn't realize, but Anthony Davis took a 23-foot or something like that uh, and missed it with a man in his face rather than trying to generate an open look. And it felt like that's the shot the defense wants you to take, and the Lakers made that their first option. Same thing here with Russell Westbrook. Took the shot that the defense very much will live with rather than try to force something that they would not. Like trying to beat P.J. Tucker, who's a good defender, but Russ should be quicker than him. Uh, trying to just beat him to the basket and then make something happen at the rim. I definitely would have preferred to see Russ actually attack in that situation. You mentioned getting the ball to Malik Monk. Uh, my concern with giving the ball to Malik Monk in that situation, he was hot, but I don't know if I want to ask him to create in a one-on-one -on -one, uh, standoff with somebody. If you can get him coming off of a curl so he can attack downhill off the bounce, sure, I'm into it. I'm, I'm into something like that, getting him the ball in that situation. Or if it's me, if you're thinking, hey, the Heat's defense is pretty good, we might end up getting forced into a long jumper, give the ball to Melo. Give the ball to Carmelo Anthony. I know Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis, they're on a different le level of stars right now. But if you feel like that's the shot you're going to get forced into, I want Carmelo Anthony being the guy to take that one. He's got the, the quick twitch to get that shot off. His shot rarely gets blocked. And I think he's the guy who can make that shot go down. But in that specific scenario, I didn't have a problem giving the ball to Russ and getting him isoed on the wing. The problem was the pull-up shot. But hopefully that's something they'll do a little bit differently next time. All right, let's see what else we've got here. We do still have a master lock of the night to get to in just a bit. Uh, Yodega from YouTube said, Mello, the highest plus minus off the, of the night, but still impactful. Uh, yeah, look, Carmelo Anthony plus 13. Malik Monk was a plus 12. I thought Carmelo Anthony was good tonight. Six boards. There were a number of rebounds that he grabbed on the defensive end where I was thinking that the Lakers got to stop. And I'm thinking somebody grabbed this because Anthony Davis had gone out and there was Carmelo Anthony to swoop in and grab the board. So he made a couple of really key rebound plays. I thought defensively he was once again good. Um, not, not a net negative on the defensive end of the floor. And that was what he was in Portland. So that was great to see. The shot wasn't necessarily going down. His first shot, his three, he steps onto the floor. He had been on the floor like four seconds, and the ball gets swung to him, and he just instantly, no conscience, shoots a three and hits it. I thought we were in store for another big night for Melo, but 12 points on this one. Uh, he made some nice plays. The Udonis Haslam pump fake. Oh, my goodness. Udonis Haslam at 41, still in the NBA, oldest player, and he actually had to step on the floor tonight because they got in foul trouble with their bigs. And uh, yeah, he was out there and Melo pump faked him out of his shoes and then scored on him. I thought Carmelo Anthony was still good, still made a difference. And I think the floor spacing is key with him. Teams have recognized how hot he is shooting the basketball and they're afraid to leave him on the perimeter. And so even when he doesn't get, get the ball, that's opening up things for other players. So that was great to see from Carmelo Anthony, him make that kind of an impact, even when he isn't just absolutely scorching the net with his shot. Sherpa Dog from YouTube said, Avery Bradley's defensive effort gets so overlooked. I'm so glad he has gotten more minutes, especially during crunch time against Tyler. You know, we were calling Avery Bradley a couple of seasons ago uh, one of the better perimeter defenders in the NBA, and he was. His energy level 
is such that it lifts up everybody around him. Because when Avery Bradley's super active and bouncing all over the place and fighting through all these screens, everybody else kind of does too. They take a cue from him. He is one of those guys that is infectious with his energy on the defensive end of the floor. He did do a good job defending Tyler Hero tonight. There were a couple of miscues here and there. Uh, play where he got back cut. Another one where he went under a screen when he should have gone over. Little things here and there like that. But overall, he fought hard and it was Avery Bradley early. That was red hot. It wasn't Malik Monk that got going initially. It was Avery Bradley, and he finishes 5 of 8 from deep with 17 points. This was a nice performance out of him. And the emergence, if there's concern long-term about Kent Bazemore, and you're thinking about, okay, well, maybe Taylor Horton Tucker comes back and takes away one of those starting lineup roles, but we want to make sure we keep a really good 3 and D defender. Over the last few games, Avery Bradley's been better than Bazemore at it. So maybe Bradley's success there allows him to keep that role. And perhaps it's Kent Bazemore that takes a seat, but we'll see. Long way to go. Again, not giving up on Bazemore, but Bradley was indeed good. Somebody said, we really need to keep Avery. Yeah, you know what? There are some games, last game, for example, Avery Bradley was not getting it done defensively against the Hornets, and he didn't get as many minutes. Um and justifiably so. The Lakers instead went with guys like Wayne Ellington. And uh, and it worked out for them. And they had success. But a night like tonight, you see where Avery Bradley can be beneficial. Uh, somebody is asking about Wayne Ellington in here. Wayne Ellington, 4 of 6 from deep. His shooting really helped. I couldn't believe, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, but first half, there's a bucket that Wayne Ellington scored. It was a corner three, shot clock winding down. He shot it from the corner. Right, He was like even with the backboard and somehow banked it in. I don't even know how this is possible, right? But he banked it. He threw it. was like Captain America's shield somehow, or he bent the shot like David Beckham on a, on a free kick. It somehow just barely hit the side of the backboard and went in. It was an unbelievable shot. And I know he didn't mean to do it, but hey, it still counts. Uh, Wayne Ellington, I thought was good. I thought defensively, we had a lot of concerns about Wayne Ellington defensively coming into the season. And we saw those play out in preseason where he was really getting lit up. And I think the last couple of times we've seen Wayne out there on the floor, that hasn't been the case. Not to say he's been this staunch defender or anything like that, but he's been serviceable. He's been a guy that's been able to use what he's got up here, use his mind, the basketball mind that has been in this league for a long time to put himself in the right spot more often than not. And that can make a big difference. I thought he did a nice job fighting to stay attached to guys, fight through screens. Uh, he was good. He was good tonight. So I liked what we saw out of Wayne Ellington. And uh, more minutes coming his way. Somebody said Wayne Beckham. Yep. Marco C., the role players showed up tonight. Yeah. That's really what this came down to. The other guys all kicked in. And we've seen games early in the season where it was LeBron, it was Russ, it was Anthony Davis, and nobody else. Just nobody else really contributed. Tonight... It felt like everybody who stepped onto the floor just about made meaningful contributions. Okay, maybe you could say DeAndre Jordan didn't. No shots, one point, five boards. Maybe you can say Dwight Howard didn't. Six fouls uh, in 11 minutes. Now he did, I think he was a deterrent a few times at the rim, particularly when Caleb Martin tried to dunk on him. Big mistake there. Uh, but other than that, pretty much everybody made a meaningful contribution to this win. And that's a great win to see. Yo from YouTube said, did you see the little picture with basically everyone on the bench is wearing in street clothes? That's insane. All heavy rotation guys too. 
Yeah, I mean, look, this was, again, when the news came out, and we knew that Austin Reeves and Rondo were dealing with some hamstring issues. The, the Lakers had released that earlier, that they were questionable. And then when the news came out that they were out, that they actually were not going to play for this game, I think the general reaction um, was the Lakers are going to lose. Oh boy, here we go again. Uh, Corey Hansford for Lakers Nation in our group text. He does the live tweets most of the time, by the way. There's a few of us that, that do it, but Corey Hansford does the live tweeting mostly from the account. And the last few times he's done it, the Lakers have lost. Like he did the live tweeting during the Oklahoma City games. He did the live tweeting during the first two games of the season uh, against the Suns and against the Warriors. And so he felt like he was cursed. And then he's on call to do it again tonight. And these injury reports come out, and he was just beside himself. He said, what do I have to do to live tweet during a win? Fortunately, we broke that streak for Corey, but the general sense was, hey, they're going to lose this game with this roster that they've got. So credit to the Lakers. I would not have predicted a win given the circumstances around this team and how many players they have on the sideline, and they scrapped, and they clawed, and they fought, and they figured out a way to get the job done. Uh, somebody from YouTube said Lakers didn't win this the game. The Heat lost it. The broke down the, the breakdown on defense and Tyler Hero missed that shot. It's my only concern with this game. No man, you can't look at this that way. If you're if you're saying the Heat lost this game for themselves, that's just discrediting crediting or disregarding all the effort that the Lakers put in. If you've been following this team, you know what we've seen from the Lakers, particularly on the defensive end of the floor. You know what a step forward tonight was. Don't try to take that away from them by saying this was a game that the Heat lost. Look, if you're a Heat fan, the Heat probably should have won this game, but the Lakers did everything they needed to do, everything they could do in order to get the victory. Were there mistakes? Yes, absolutely. And look, Miami missed some free throws down the stretch. They missed some open shots. But for the bulk of the game, the Lakers did everything they could to make the Heat take uncomfortable shots and the Lakers themselves, to their credit, knocked down the looks that they were generating. So I thought the Lakers did a nice job tonight. This was a win. They went out there and they got, they earned, and they certainly deserved it. Um, did they break down on that final possession? Yes. Tyler Hero should not have gotten that wide open of a three. But look, Eric Spolstra is good at drawing up plays. Not saying it was the best play in the world. The Lakers should have read that. They didn't. Fortunately, Tyler Hero missed it. But if we're going to sum it up to one play as the only you know concern out of the game... I don't know. I don't know about that. I think that one play where they made a mistake on defense, yes, it was a big play. I'm not going to hold that against them, though, too much in a game like this where I felt overall they really competed at a high level. Uh, Jay Renrick said, do we have the right role players that can score without getting in a rhythm with all of the big three out there? Well, that's going to be the real test, right? Is going to be once LeBron comes back, can the Lakers, other guys now continue playing like this? Now that they've seen, hey, we can do this. We can really help this team. We don't have to just watch Russ go. We don't have to just watch AD, just watch LeBron and stand in the corner. We can make plays too. Can they continue to do so when LeBron's on the floor? That's going to be important for this team moving forward, that you've got guys that are unafraid to take the big shot, that are unafraid to make the play themselves because they have to be a threat. You have to be a threat. And that's the key, right? We talk all the time about gravity and three-point shooting and, and three-point percentage and why all of that matters. It really comes down to, are you a threat? Do teams have to account for you on the defensive end of the floor? Do teams care 
if you get the ball. The teams see you as somebody that can put the ball in the basket or not. And for the first, what, 10 games of the season, the answer for a lot of guys was no. It was no. A lot of guys were looked at as non-threatening when they had the ball, when the ball was swung to them on the perimeter. And I think tonight, a lot of those guys made big plays on the offensive end. And then defensively, a lot of guys were getting targeted. Malik Monk would get targeted. Carmelo Anthony would get targeted. Wayne Ellington would get targeted. And I thought defensively, all of them stepped it up. So if you can do that, you're forcing your opponent to play differently. Then the question becomes, can you continue playing at that level when the stars are out there on the floor? That's the next step. But I think tonight was a great example of how these guys can step up. Um, Not to say it's going to be there every single night for all of them, but they can step up. And the Lakers just need to figure out a way to keep that going when LeBron's back out on the floor. Chaco Thunder said that was an elevator play that got a hero that opened shot. Yeah, but the reason why he got it was Anthony Davis's head was turned and it just got thrown over him. Like if AD turns, he probably grabs that ball out of the air with his go-go gadget arms, right? But AD's head was turned and it got to Hero. He was so concerned about the screen action. Uh, hey, Trevor, do you think nobody... This is Akuta Babadas from YouTube. Hey, Trevor, do you think nobody talks to Russ about not taking threes or about his turnovers? Seems like Coach would adr- address his late-game blunders. Russ knows. You saw the frustration out there, and I'm sure these are things that get talked about. But there was a play where I believe he attacked the basket... And he didn't get a foul call and he missed a layup and he was hitting the floor in frustration. He knows he wants to be successful. He wants to make big plays. He wants to take care of the basketball, but there's moments where he just doesn't. And that might take some, it may get better with time, but I don't think he's ever going to completely change his ways. Um, He really wants to be successful in front of the Staples Center crowd. He wants to have those moments, and he kind of got it tonight. He made some big plays down the stretch, didn't hit the game winner. Again, I would have preferred to see him attack the basket. Um, it's it's getting addressed with him, but it's not like it has to be. He knows. He's a veteran. He's been in this league long enough. He knows what's going on. It's a matter of making those adjustments. He's trying to walk that fine line of playing fast and pushing the pace and getting looks for everybody while not going too fast and not forcing the ball to anybody and creating turnovers. There were some plays that he just read the play wrong. Uh, There was a play in the second half, no, maybe it was the first half, where he went up, no, it was the second half play. So he got into the paint, and he went to a little turnaround, and he expected Bam Adebayo to contest his shot and leave DeAndre Jordan wide open under the basket. So he passed it to DeAndre Jordan. Only thing was, Bam didn't leave to contest Russ's shot, and so he wound up just passing it right to Bam. Uh, that was a mistake on Westbrook's part. He didn't read the play. And that's something that he'll go back and look at and say, man, in that scenario, I've just got to take the four-footer rather than try to just pass that to DeAndre Jordan if it's not there. There were a few times he just didn't make the right read. Had another super chat that came in that said, uh, cut DJ, please. Look, DeAndre Jordan, I still maintain. I believe this is what's going to happen. And this is this is me. This is my best guess. Okay, but what I believe is going to happen is once the Lakers wings get back, once we get THT back and the Lakers then have an incentive to put an extra wing in the starting lineup and they feel like they have a little bit of size. I mean, LeBron's back, THT's back, may have to even wait for a reason to get back. I believe at that point we'll see Anthony Davis at the center and DeAndre Jordan won't be part of the rotation. 
uh, Frank Vogel made a comment, I'm paraphrasing, but he made a comment the other day about this. Was asked about going smaller with AD at the five. In fact, this was before the Hornets game. And he said that this would have been a good opportunity to do that, but because they had so many wings hurt, he didn't feel like they could. I believe that was the plan, and then all the Lakers' wings got hurt, and so then they said, okay, well, I guess we have to go back to what we know, and that's going big with DeAndre Jordan in there. I think at some point that's going to change, and we're going to see more Anthony Davis at center. We saw a lot of Anthony Davis at center tonight, by the way. That was predominantly how the Lakers played, in part because Dwight Howard fouled out, but also because DeAndre Jordan wasn't all that effective. So I think that's coming. Uh, Whether or not they cut DeAndre Jordan, I think that is coming, but it's going to take some wings being healthy to pull it off. I've got Austin Sexton from YouTube. So Trevor, love your coverage per usual. Thank you very much. Do you see us as constructed as a championship caliber team? I think they've got the upside. They have the ceiling of a championship caliber team. Will they hit it? That's the question. Will they hit that ceiling? They've got enough talent. Um, Can they get all the pieces to fit in a way that makes sense? Can you rein in Russell Westbrook to a degree where you get all the best parts out of his game and you minimize the worst parts? That's a big task. Can you get all the role players playing to a high level? Can you get everybody bought in on defense? There's a lot of question marks still there. But talent-wise, I think the ceiling is there for them to be a championship-caliber team, yes. But they still have a long way to go to get there. Victor Miller from YouTube said, Hey, Trevor, to be honest, our team is very talented. And defensively, I can see us improving. When we get healthy and mesh after the All-Star break, we take off. Yeah, it's going to take some time. And it might be the All-Star break, but it's also going to take health. It's going to take getting guys healthy because remember, they've already adjusted many times, right? They went into training camp. They went into training camp and they uh, and they set everything up thinking THT is going to be there. Ariza is going to be there. None's going to be there, right? They go into training camp with these guys and then instantly they're all hurt. They all get hurt. And then what do you do? Then you have to change everything that you just set up. And then just when you're adjusting again, LeBron gets hurt and he's out for two games and then he comes back and then he gets hurt again and now he's out again. There's a lot of players shuffling in and out of the lineup and it's hard to really build that chemistry and build that type of cohesiveness when you have so many players going in and out of the lineup. So I think it is going to take time and there's going to be a readjustment. So they get used to playing this way right now. Then LeBron comes back, adjust again. Then Taylor Horton Tucker comes back. Kendrick Nunn comes back. Adjustments, adjustments. You're going to have to make changes as guys come in. Hopefully they get a long extended period of health. And then in the next few months, we see them really hit their stride. That's the ideal situation. All right, Sherpa Dog from YouTube said, Hey Trevor, do you know what it is exactly with our defense, which has mysteriously disappeared from the 1920 season that made us champs? Is it Vogel? Uh, it's not just Vogel. Vogel has struggled a little bit with this because the schemes that he tends to use don't really work with this group defensively. So Vogel was a guy who was always very much okay with giving up a four-on-three advantage to his opponent because he knew his three guys, or if it was five-on-four, his guys that were down a man were going to fly all over the court, and he had guys that were lanky enough to do it and athletic enough to do it to where if you go into a screen roll and the Lakers, for example, think about back in the playoffs in the 2019-2020 season. When the Lakers won the championship, what did they do to James Harden? They blitzed the pick and roll. So you would have your big 
who is up, and it would be Anthony Davis in most scenarios. Your big who is up, they get put in a pick and roll situation with a guard. Say it's KCP. KCP and Anthony Davis would both defensively pressure James Harden with the ball and force him to give the ball up. Now, the downside of that is, let's say he makes the pass and he passes it to, say, Westbrook. Say Westbrook set the screen. I'm talking about the Houston-LA matchup. The downside is now you've got Westbrook with the ball, Anthony Davis and KCP out of the play, which means the Lakers only have three defenders and there's four offensive players still in the play for the Houston Rockets. Frank Vogel was perfectly okay with those scenarios because he knew that there are other guys on the floor It would be, you know, Danny Green. It would be LeBron James. These guys are flying all over the place. And even if it's it's on one side, one of those guys is kind of playing center field and he's walling off two defenders. Anthony Davis in particular is great at this, cutting off part of the floor. That doesn't really work when you've got an older team where those closeouts are a little bit slower, where instead of flying out to the shooter to contest the shot, you've got a guy that's half a step, maybe a a full step slower. It's much harder to run that type of system. And Vogel has talked about that, how they've had to change their pick and roll coverages and they're trying to find something that works. Damian Lillard just eviscerated them in pick and roll situations and he couldn't go to what they had done before to Lillard, which was to double team him and blitz him and get the ball out of his hands and then give them the man advantage and say, okay, bring it. We've got defenders that can handle this. So that's been a challenge for Frank Vogel. Um, defensively, and that's why I think in part you've seen some of the issues. But uh, the other part of the issue is simply the Lakers don't have that many plus defenders individually. There's not many guys on this roster when you look at them and you say, that's a great defender, that's a great defender, that's a great defender. No, there's just not that many of them. So you combine those two things, Vogel's philosophies not translating well to this team, and this team just not having that many good defensive players individually, and that's where you get some poor defensive uh, possessions, but they're getting better. They're getting better. They're starting to read things. We saw it tonight. They looked a lot better defensively in this one. So I'm saying they're not going to stay as a bad defensive team. I think they can become a decent defensive team. I don't think they're going to be one of the top in the NBA. If they are, then Vogel is a genius. But uh, I think they can be passable defensively. Saul Solis from YouTube said the Russ, Monk, Mello, Bradley, AD lineup had a defensive rating of 65.4. Frank must be happy with this. Absolutely. And we talk about guys flying all over the floor. That group probably has the juice to do it with the exception of maybe Mello. But I think even he was making a really nice effort getting out to guys. Russell Westbrook, certainly athletic enough. Monk makes some mistakes mentally. But athletically, can he do it? Yes, he certainly can. And Avery Bradley, we know can. That group really did a nice job. Uh, A defensive rating of 65.4 is ridiculously good and not sustainable, but still, credit to them in this one. Uh, Kevin Kennan, you think THT plays next game? No, can just about guarantee. That's a no, he will not be. Frank Vogel said right now he's only playing one-on-one and two-on-two. He's not ready to come back just yet. They need to give him, get him all the way up to five-on-five five in practices, get his legs under him before he's going to come back. So again, I can say with almost certainty, THT will not come back next game. It's probably going to be a little bit till they really feel like he's fully back. Remember, you know, he's coming back from an injury. What you don't want to do is say, oh, cool, you're healthy, and just push him into the deep end. When he hasn't been playing basketball in a while, you want to let him ramp up a little bit because otherwise your risk of, of injury is higher. I'm not saying that um, he's going to re-injure his thumb or anything like that, but just in terms of fatigue, in terms of his body being used to the physical toll of basketball, he's got to get that back. 
because he's been out of action for, uh, what, a month or so. Uh, when the buyout market comes around later this season, who gets cut first if someone like uh, someone they like comes available? It really depends, right? Like Avery Bradley would be the, the knee-jerk reaction because he was the last guy brought onto the roster. He got cut by the Warriors right before the season started, uh, and his deal's not guaranteed, so he would be the knee-jerk reaction. But he's been good. I mean, he's in the st- he's played his way into the starting lineup. He went from being cut by the Warriors right before the season started to playing against the Warriors in crunch time without practicing with the Lakers in game one. That's pretty incredible. So I can't pinpoint anybody right now that I would say would get cut for the buyout market, but a lot can happen between now and then. There's a long way to go before March. Jay Renrick, I really like Frank Vogel, but I think we could we could be better with another coach. Not sure if he knows how to coach multiple superstars. Who? Cool. If you don't like Vogel, who? Who are you going to get right now to go coach this team? Fisdale? Is that, that who's going to replace him? So now you're not calling up Phil Jackson. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's a better coach out there. And look, in terms of the multiple superstars thing, there's... There's reason to be concerned with Frank Vogel on some things. Okay. I'm not, he's not a perfect coach, but I will say the way he manages a locker room is very interesting. And it's a management style that is a necessity with this team, with a star driven team, but it's also um, one that some coaches wouldn't be comfortable with. Frank Vogel is very comfortable with the players having a lot of power with the players having a say in things. He's very comfortable when they do their film sessions. He said this many times. He does not want to be the only voice in the room. He doesn't want to be the guy up at the front of the room pointing to everything. And he's the only one talking and everyone else is silent. Everyone else is just listening. That's not what he wants. He wants a collaborative process. He wants guys involved because he looks at the guys that are on this team. Rajon Rondo, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, right? Like you don't use their brains and you're missing out on something because these are some of the most experienced basketball players in the world. These are some of the smartest basketball players in the world. You're doing yourself a disservice if you don't open yourself up to that, to letting them run some things, to letting Rondo run some of their schemes and figure out their film sessions and all that sort of stuff. You know, I talk about this a lot, but Rondo is credited with coming up with the defensive schemes the Lakers used in game six against the Miami Heat to win the championship a couple of years ago. Frank Vogel does a really nice job letting go of the reins long enough while still maintaining the respect of his players, but making sure that the players feel empowered. You know, I think about a couple of seasons ago when Frank Vogel was new, there was a moment where Contavious Caldwell Pope, this is when the coach's challenge first came in, and there was a play where KCP fouled a player and or was whistled for a foul. And Frank Vogel, rather than ask his assistant coaches, rather than ask somebody else, he asked Contavious Caldwell Pope. He said, did you, well, let's, let's face it. He said, did you effing foul him? Right? Did you foul him? And he trusted that KCP was not going to let his emotions get the better of him, was not going to just say, oh, no, I didn't foul him. He was going to give him a truthful answer. And that, to me, that moment, a lot of coaches don't do that. A lot of coaches don't listen to their player in that situation because they don't trust that the player is managing the moment and will give you an unbiased answer. And I thought that stood out. And that showed what kind of coach Frank Vogel is in terms of how he manages players. And then we saw a similar situation a couple of nights ago 
Uh, there was a play. Austin Reeves got called for a foul. A lot of guys on the Lakers bench said, review it. Austin Reeves ran over to Vogel and said, no, I fouled him. I fouled him. Frank Vogel said, okay, saved his challenge. He listens to his players. Okay, and not every coach will do that. And on this team, it works. And it's a necessity. If you don't listen to LeBron James, you're not coaching this team for that long. So I think he's done a good job in terms of managing players. Uh, Pedro Henrique Barros Cortez said, Trev, would you trade to get another shooter or are you happy with the ones we have now? Say hello to Brazil. Lakers Nation is huge here. Go Lakers. Awesome. Love seeing international fans come in. Welcome in Brazil. Fantastic. Uh, as far as trading for another shooter, the Lakers added a lot of shooting this offseason, particularly Carmelo Anthony's been shooting great. He's been giving them the spacing they needed. I think they've got enough shooting. Scheme-wise, you can capitalize on that shooting a little bit better. Uh, you can create some more open looks in the middle by playing your shooters a little bit different, but that some of that's going to come when they've got a fully healthy team. They don't have that just yet. Uh, but overall, I think they've got the shooting that they need right now. I don't think they're desperate to go find a shooter at this moment. If one pops up that they can get and there's something workable, sure. You know, it would never hurt to look at it. In this league, you can't have too much shooting, just like you can't have too many wings. All right, let's do a few more. Oh, you know what? We do need to get into the master lock of the night. How have we not done that yet? We've talked almost for an hour already. I've been so excited talking about this game that we haven't done the master lock of the night. So let's do it. The master lock of the night. Chat, let me know. If you're coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter, let me know who it is that deserves the master lock from this game. Whether it's a Laker, whether it's a Miami Heat, whether it's a moment, a moment in this game, let me know. Let me know the master lock from this one. Oh, I'm seeing a lot of people. Some people are saying the refs. Some people saying master lock DeAndre Jordan. Some people saying master lock Baysmore. Some people master lock Kyle Lowry. Some people, Malik Monk, he's not getting the master lock. He was great. He was great. Oh, somebody's saying Carmelo Anthony for the five-second violation. Okay, that's that's a pretty good nomination. That's not something that you should see a veteran do. Uh, some people saying master lock. I'm seeing more Master Lock Baysmore. I'm finally seeing one person. Okay, a few people now have said it. The one that I am going with tonight. My Master Lock. No, it's not going to Dwight for fouling out in 11 minutes. My Master Lock is going to none other than Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero is getting the Master Lock because we all saw it. What did he do? He hit a shot and then he started talking. He turned to the Lakers bench. And he started talking. And who was he talking to? Phil Handy. You don't talk to Phil Handy like that, Tyler Hero. Come on. Phil Handy is revered around the NBA. And Tyler Hero is talking smack to him. Leave that out. We're not doing that, Tyler Hero. And that's why uh, I was happy to see that he missed that last second shot. Felt like that was a little bit of karma for having those words with the Lakers bench. And specifically with Phil Handy. So he's getting my master lock of the night. All right, let's get into a few more before we call it an evening here. Some people saying they missed that moment. Yeah, that was that was earlier in the game that that happened. Some people said, let him talk and smirk.
Uh, somebody asked, will Ariza be a good 3 and D guy? Ideally. I mean, that's that's why they brought him in, is to be a 3 and D style player. Uh, he's older, again, like a lot of guys. But hey, Carmelo Anthony's older too, and he's been good. Uh, so hopefully he can. It depends on that ankle, though. We'll see how that heals up. Comment here from YouTube said, from Sherpa Dog said, what do you think about Westbrook coming off the bench? Oh, man, coming off the bench. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's too much involved there to bring him off the bench, right? I mean, we we dealt with this a little bit last season with Dennis Schroeder, uh, but Westbrook is a legit star. And you can say there's games where he doesn't play like it, and okay, that's fair. Uh, but he's a former MVP, right? The, you're not going to bring him off the bench. That's not what you're going to do to Russell Westbrook. If you're doing it in order to play Russ with the bench units, you can change up your rotation so that Russ plays most of his minutes with the bench unit. That is completely doable. So maybe you can still get that done without having to force Russ to the bench, right? Because then that's a big talking point. Then they're asking Russ, how do you feel about this? Does this bother you? And what's he supposed to say? No, I'm fine coming off the bench after starting my whole career. I'm totally good with doing this now, making $45 million and being a bench player. He's probably not going to be okay with it, especially given that he can still produce. He's still putting up triple doubles. So it's you're creating an issue, right? You're creating an issue where then LeBron's going to get asked, what's your thoughts on this? Anthony Davis is going to get asked. And then as soon as Russ has a good game, people are going to be asking, is he going back in the starting lineup? You're creating a talking point that you don't need to. So if your goal is to have him with the bench unit and stagger his minutes with LeBron, which I think is a justifiable one, there's a better way to go about that where you're able to, to do it without benching him. You just manage the rotation a bit. Oh, somebody said, Trevor, would you accept a position from the Lakers, maybe like a scout or something like that? You know, there's people that are better at scouting than than I am. Um, I rewatch games and everything, and I catch a lot of stuff that I missed live. Scouts are tremendous at picking up stuff live. They notice things that are happening mid-game. And that's a tough gig, too. You're on the road all the time. So in terms of like a scouting role, I've got a five-year-old that I want to be around for. So that's probably not something that would be in the in the cards for me and besides i really enjoy getting to come on here and talk about all of this stuff with uh with you guys but you know would never say never obviously to the fact that i get to do this that i get to cover the lakers the team that i grew up uh admiring is is incredible to me it's so to an opportunity to actually work with the lakers or directly um that would also be amazing it would be extremely hard to to pass on something like that but again I really enjoy what I'm doing, getting to talk about the game, getting to break down everything with all of you. So don't get me wrong there. I definitely are consider myself very, very fortunate to be where I'm at right now and get to talk about Lakers basketball all the time, which is, uh, I, I got to admit, it's quite fun. Uh, do you think Russ is better while not on the floor at the same time as LeBron? Ultimately, yes. I hope that eventually they can play better together. They can they can find a way. So it's not just kind of taking turns. Okay, LeBron, you're going to have this offensive possession. Okay, Russ, your turn. Now you go do your thing. Hopefully they can figure out a way to play together. But right now, their skill sets, it makes a lot of sense to stagger them as much as possible. But ultimately, by the end of the season, you want to see them clicking, whether that's more cuts for Russ, which he has been cutting more, whether that's 
running the LeBron Russ pick and roll where Russ is screening for LeBron. We've seen that a little bit. There's some different things that they need to try to figure out a way to kind of get that synergy, but it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Um, it's going to take some time for that. Right now, I do think they, they're better when they're separated. Somebody said, Trevor, do you think we need to get rid of one of our guards for a defensive wing? You know, I don't know that you're going to get rid of a guard right now at this moment. I do think, though, that they could use another defensive wing. I was saying that last uh, last offseason, that they were missing a wing. That's why we talked so much about James Ennis. I felt like they needed another wing player. And lo and behold, right now, they are very, very short on wings. Um, that's not a victory lap by me by any means. Look, I was saying they needed a wing the year they won a championship, and then it didn't matter. I thought they were short one wing player that season, and then it turned out it didn't matter that much. Um, they were able to win anyway. This season, I did think they needed another wing player if they were going to add somebody. They're using primarily guards as wings, masquerading as wings right now. You're seeing Taylor, uh, not Taylor. Well, you will see Taylor Horton Tucker on the wing when he's healthy, but you've seen Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Kent Bazemore. You've seen those guys play the small forward role. I think you could use somebody who's a bit bigger uh, for that spot, but um, I don't know if there's a guard that you're going to move right now in order to do that. We'll see what things look like closer to the trade deadline. People saying Siku Dumboya. Yeah, I mean, look, ideally, he's got the size, the physical profile to be that. We'll see if he can do it uh, on a mental level, if he can compete. Uh, with the Lakers, if he can really gr ga uh, grasp their schemes on the defensive end of the floor in particular. If he can, if he's a guy, if he catches on real quick to what Frank Vogel's trying to do, maybe he does become a solution there. But I don't think we're there just yet. All right, guys, let's do one more. Let's do one more, and then we'll call it a night here with a, a great win for the Lakers. Actually, you know what? This is a segment. A lot of you guys have been asking me about this. Should we put this segment in here? The best moment of the night. Um, and let's go ahead and do that. Let's come up with the best moment of the night. I've got my thoughts on what my favorite moment of the night was. But let me know, chat again, coming in from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter. What do you think was the best moment of the night for the Los Angeles Lakers? Give me your thoughts here on this one. Um, seeing some comments coming in. Oh, people talking about the free throw disparity. Yes, that was certainly a thing. And we can talk about that. Uh, Monk's deep three, the Anthony Davis lob, Monk's plays. Malik Monk shot to beat the shot clock. That's mine. Michael Pierce from YouTube threw that one in. The off-balance shot from Malik Monk. Yes, that's also mine. Um, that was my that was my moment of the night. The off-balance one that he threw up to beat the clock and hit it. That was at such a critical juncture of the game, too. And it felt like it was a possession that was just done for the Lakers. They weren't going to get a bucket out of it. Just kind of throwing something up in order to, to get something up on the rim. And, uh, and he drains it. And it was such a difficult shot. The degree of difficulty to make that shot is insane. Like, even unguarded. That would be a difficult shot to make, but he had a guy right in his face. I think it was Tyler Hero, and uh, and he still knocked it down. So that was my moment of the night for me. Uh, but I'm seeing a lot of a lot of comments coming in too. A lot of people saying the Monk deep three, that was a good one. Westbrook clutch steal and fade away. That was a big shot as well. Great to see that. Oh. Monk's half-court shot from last game, somebody said. Yeah, that would have been the moment from the previous game. That was pretty amazing against his former team. It was a revenge shot.
somebody asked, what happened to Reeves? Hamstring strain, but it does sound like it's a minor one. So hopefully he'll be good. People said the effort on the defensive end of the floor as well. Yes, that was absolutely a positive. Look, to kind of sum things up, or to wrap up here, this was a win for the Lakers, but not just a win in the record book. It was a win in a lot of ways. It was a win for us, for Lakers Nation. It was kind of that uplifting type of victory that we hadn't had yet. And now here it is. We've got it. Um, it was a win for the team to have that kind of moral victory. Again, a win that you wouldn't expect them to get given all the injuries that they've got. And yet they did against a very good team. They pulled off a victory. They beat a team that, again, on paper, they probably shouldn't have. So I think in terms of the morale of the team, this is big. Um, it's big in terms of their record, of course. It's also big, though, just in terms of the role players coming together defensively, seeing the kind of chemistry that we saw, the kind of effort that we saw on that end of the floor. It was a win there. In fact, I was thinking as you know, we're getting into overtime, even if they lost, I felt like this was still going to be a fairly upbeat show because while a loss would have been disappointing, they had showed so much that we hadn't seen yet especially on defense, the effort, the uh, making sure they were closing out on every single shot. The, yes, there were a few defensive miscues, but overall, their switches, everything was much more crisp. They played with that kind of energy and that kind of passion, and they made sure they were communicating and rotating and fired up and doing all the things you need to do to be successful on defense. Now, again, it was not perfect. They made their mistakes, but overall, they took their defense to a different level tonight. And then their offense, the shot making was absolutely tremendous. So it was a win in those areas as well. And that was absolutely great to see. And that's why I'm leaving this one feeling good about this team, feeling good about what they just accomplished. And this is the first win of the season where I can walk away and say they really fought and earned this win rather than kind of stumbled backwards into it or just they had more talent than the other team and that was why they won. No, they won this game for all those reasons that I just mentioned. And that's why to me, this is the first true, like feel good win of the season. All right, guys, appreciate all of you coming in, all the questions, all the comments that you've brought from YouTube, from Facebook, from Twitter. If you're not doing it already, make sure you do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Got new content coming out there every single day. Turn on those notifications as well. And don't forget to head over to LakersNation.com for everything going on in the world of the Los Angeles Lakers. If you guys want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Trevor underscore Lane on Twitter, at Trevor Lane NBA over on Instagram. I am getting better at Instagram, slowly but surely. I am getting better. You guys can check that out. I'm posting content there every day as well. Again, Trevor Lane NBA over on Instagram. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe and see ya.